Hey, and thanks for listening to the Script and Scribes podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know we've started a Patreon to help offset some of the many expenses involved in producing the podcast. There are a bunch of cool exclusive incentives for donors, uh, so please feel free to check them out at patreon.com slash scriptsandscribes. Of course, the podcast will remain free for everyone, so we're not switching to a paid uh, service or anything like that. But we do appreciate all of your support, whether through a, a small Patreon donation or even just spreading the word about the Scripts and Scribes podcast to your fellow writers. Um, it really does all help, so we do appreciate all of your support. There are also a bunch of free episodes uh, of the podcast, Unscripted, and the new Scripts and Scribes Social, which is a daily podcast we have going on during the social distancing slash self-isolation. Um, so we're recording a bunch of new episodes every day, and it's only on Patreon. And again, it's free for all. You don't have to subscribe or donate to listen to many of those episodes. There are a few that are, are donor incentives, but most of them are currently free for everyone to listen to. So go check it out, patreon.com slash scripts and scribes. And a huge special thanks to our first two patrons, or Patreon patrons i don't know how that works but to our first two patreon donors s rollin and marco north thank you so much uh you guys rock i really do appreciate it and now on to the show Today on the podcast, our guest is a lit manager and producer at Bellevue, who is also an NYU Film School alum. Prior to joining the management and production outfit, she was VP of Development and Production at Occupant Entertainment, where she produced content for Showtime, MTV, and Facebook. She was also nominated for an Emmy for her work as executive producer on the Hulu original series Behind the Mask, and is currently producing the burning season, Kate Sharp. Welcome to the podcast, Kate. Hello. Um, so we always get the podcast started where we learn a little bit about you and your background. So how did you get started in the entertainment industry? Just in general, how did you become interested in, in pursuing a career in entertainment? How did that happen for you? My uh, entertainment origin story is unfortunately not that interesting. Um, I always actually like to talk to other people about, about how they've found their way into it and find the most interesting ones are when people have done totally different careers and then merged into it. Um, I wanted to work in film when I was a child, I was obsessed with movies. I was obsessed with stories. I thought I wanted to be a director for a long time. Um, and then I went to NYU film school. And uh, and as I tell people, I was wanted to be a director, like 99.9% .9 of the people that go to NYU. Um, and it was during my time at NYU that um, a friend of mine asked me if I would quote unquote produce one of their student films for them. Um, and I say quote unquote because producing a student film is essentially getting like craft service and se right. securing like one location. Um, and begging for donations of things. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and going to the bakery and getting like the day old baked goods for set. Right, right. Um, and uh, I did it. Uh, I liked it. And, and it was sort of as soon as other people heard that I was willing to do that, I started getting asked a right. lot. And eventually during my time there, I mean, I did a thesis film. I, you know, I, I definitely directed while I was there, but by the time I left school, I pretty much knew I wanted to produce. And I graduated and moved almost immediately out to Los Angeles. I didn't know anyone or I knew one person. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> and uh, spent some time trying to kind of figure that out. Eventually, 
um, landed at a management company as an assistant, mm. got my one-year desk experience. And then from that, I got an assistant job with a production company called Occupant. Um, at the time, they had had a movie called The Wackness mm-hmm. that was at Sundance. It had won the Audience Award. It really like launched Jonathan Levine's career. Jonathan's gone on to do lots of bigger movies, most recently The Long Shot. Um, and I started working for these guys and, and worked with them for seven years. Um, and so by the time I left, I was a VP of development production and we did, uh, uh, we were an independent company and, and independent film now is very different than what independent film was, you know, when I was there in like 2007, 2008 was around the time that I started working for them. Right. Um, but we did movies like Madame Bovary with Mia Waskakowska. We did a movie called Better Lane Through Chemistry with Sam Rockwell and Olivia Wilde. We did a movie called The Hallow, um, which was a horror film that I oversaw the production of in Ireland. Um, and, uh, and then we did this docuseries for Hulu right when Hulu first opened business for business and uh, that was called Behind the Mask and that was about sports mascots so I got into documentary as well at that point. Right that's great. Um, So uh, how did you transition from working as a producer and executive into literary representation like what drove that and, and how did you actually make that transition? Yeah so I I had you know after about seven years of working at this indie production company, which was really great because I got to wear a lot of different hats. I mean, that was like one of the wonderful things about working at a small company. Um, I handled everything from development all the way through delivering to um, a distributor. Um, so I really understood like the actual physical act that it takes to like create some a, a film from beginning to end. Um, and, uh, I had been there for so long, it was time to leave. So I went out on my own for a little bit as an independent producer. Um, you know, independent producing is, I call it like the myth of the independent producer because it is really truly one of the hardest things you can attempt to do in this business. Um, I I don't think people realize that you don't get paid until the movie gets made. (laughs) Um, and then, even when that movie gets made, if you're making something that's like a million dollar movie, like you're not going to make that much money and you've been working on it for five, six years, you know? Right. Plus for those not in the industry, a million dollars sounds like a lot of money. Yeah. You can make a million bucks to make a movie yeah. and yet it, it really doesn't go very far. No, not at all. And, yeah. and, uh, and most of that actually goes towards just like the physical production of the movie, like sure. not to the writer or the director or the producer or anything like that. So... Um, in 2018, I got married, and I sort of had a come-to-Jesus moment at that point in time where, you know, you start to think, like, what, what do I want for my life? You know, I love producing. I love telling stories. I've only ever been in this business, but I think I need more stability than what is provided to people who are just trying to be independent producers. And so around that time, coincidentally, um, you know, I've always been really involved in development on projects, and I had some writers who came to me and asked me if I would consider managing them. And at the same time, I had uh, some manager friends, one manager friend in particular, who told me that I should really think about management. And to be honest, like, I had never thought about representation for myself. Like, that was just something... 
I don't know, like I, I had just been very focused on producing and the more I started to think about it, the more it started to really make sense to me for me personally. Um, I think, you know, as I said about like 12 times already, like I come from independent film. The independent film world is very different from the studio world. Um, th and it's very different from the television world. And the idea that I would transition into something that it would l allow me the opportunity to work in all of those sort of different buckets and work with different writers and different directors and really like help and guide them and like establish a meaningful relationship with those people like started to sound more and more appealing to me. It would also allow me the ability to continue to produce. Mm -hmm. And that was something too that was really important. Like if I had become an executive at a different company, that company would not want me to continue to produce sure. my own projects. Like that's just not done. Um, so, you know, you're sort of looking at, oh, I just spent four years trying to put the burning season together. Like I'm suddenly going to go, never mind. Like, I mean, maybe I could, but for me, that was just something that I, I wasn't like necessarily prepared to do at that time. So... Uh, that brings me to Bellevue. Um, so I had known John mm -hmm. um, Zazerni, who, who started Bellevue and has been on your show many times. Right. Uh, I had known him, I don't know, like years and years and years, like friendly industry acquaintances. Um, we had been, I think, on an assistant tracking board together back in the day and had kind of always stayed in touch. And I always really liked John. Um, and when he started managing, uh, it really, I, like, it blew me away how quickly he was successful with that. Um, and, like, I just really, I was really impressed by that. Um, to see somebody going from being a producer, although, like, obviously he was much, he's always been much more in the studio world, but transitioning into management and then just seeing what he was able to do within that, you know, like, I, I, I found, I was, I really respected him. And he's also, you know, and I think this speaks to him and this speaks to my colleagues as well over here. I can count on like one hand the people in this industry who no matter at what point in time I talk to them, always return my phone calls or emails. Mm -hmm. Whether I was an assistant or an executive or an independent producer right. or whatever. And that, it sounds so silly and simple, but... So much of this industry is like, what is your value? Sure. And John was never like that. You know, he was always very much like, I'm here. Like, I'll look at whatever. Like, I'll talk to you. Yeah, you want to do. So that really meant something to me. So I approached him and we started talking about management and about me coming, you know, to work at Bellevue. And I don't know. I think just for both of us, it just really made sense. I know they really wanted to expand. Um you know, we sort of looked at, you know, I, I gave him scripts that I really liked. I gave him projects I was producing and he read them. And I think he sort of assessed that my taste was like up to par. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I, I don't want to speak for him, but I do think with my independent film background, like that was something very different that um, my colleagues didn't have to bring to the table necessarily. So I think that was probably appealing. I mean, but for me, it was just... They're really good guys. Bellevue has a really great reputation. Mm -hmm. Their clients really love them. Um, and 
you know, and I really liked the strategic way that John and Jeff and Zach all talked about working with their clients and building careers for their clients. I have heard, you know, I mean, I've worked with tons of writers and directors over the years. A lot of them don't like their reps. Sure. <laughs> you know, so I, I mean, you know, I know a lot of you listening, like, don't have representatives. So it's sort of like you just want to get a rep. Um, but there's also like once you get the rep, then it's it's is your rep actually doing work for you? Is it a good relationship? Does it feel I don't know, like, does it feel like a good fit? And so I think I was very conscious of how do I come in and not be that person? How do I not be that manager that everybody complains about because right. they're, like, not getting them a meeting or, like, helping them find financing for their movie or whatever? So the way that I think Bellevue really thinks about how to work with clients and how we try to be really transparent in our early-stage conversations with prospective clients, like, that made sense to me. Um, and, and then I also just really appreciated John's, um, sort of approach to like being a manager, but then also like the producing element as well, like, because that's become such a hit thing in the industry. Sure. Which leads me to a couple questions in talking about representation and like you had mentioned a number of, a lot of writers and, and directors as well may not feel that their rep is the best fit and yet a lot of newer writers the quote-unquote pre-wga writers don't have a rep and for them the thought is any rep is better than no rep as a rep what is your take on that is any rep better than no rep i mean maybe yeah i mean there's there is certainly That's a really good question. Um, I mean, there is certainly, it does legitimize you, I guess, to a certain degree. Um, And in theory, if there's something you're interested in, like your rep can make a phone call and it seems much more official than you cold querying somebody. So certainly in that sense, like, yes. Um, But I do think at a certain point, if your rep is like truly not doing any work, mm-hmm. you know, like, well, what are you getting out of it? Right. At the end of the day, if they're if they're like willing, to, they won't even like send. And 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 I know that sounds crazy, but there are certainly people who like don't return their clients' phone calls. Right. Like you know, seriously. So uh, I think at that point, you should probably just not be working with that person anymore and be looking for new representation. Right. Because I've heard many stories as well where a writer will be with a lit rep, and as you described, the lit rep doesn't do very much, if any, work for them, doesn't return their calls in a timely fashion, things like that. And the client, through their own hard work, through their own resources and connections, may land a gig while your rep is still going to collect a percentage. Yes. You're assigned to that representation, agency, management company, whatever. Even if you got your own work, they get a percentage. Yeah. So that's part of it. And you can't decide not to because you're contractually obligated to. So Mm -hmm. keep that in mind as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, certainly for us, I mean, we put in the work. Sure. No, absolutely. You know, like we were very committed to that. and, And myself personally, like becoming a manager, like I... I really, I don't know, and and 
I mean, this is my own weakness, but it's, it's, I feel bad if mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, cause to me it really is supposed to be a partnership. Sure. Um, it's supposed to be a collaboration. I don't work for my client. My client doesn't work for me. We're partners and we're partners. We're creative partners and we're business partners. And I'm really there to, to, to help guide and, and help you succeed. And, you know, if I'm not doing the work, I, it's, I, probably shouldn't be, you know, commissioning off of you. But of course, I mean, there are instances, tons and tons and tons of instances where people are commissioning off of clients and they're not really doing anything. Right. Having said that, I mean, I do have clients who were doing development work on other things, but they land something on their own. I think in that instance, it's totally acceptable. Like, sure, yeah, you absolutely. know, like that's just a general, that's a normal right. like, client that's part of rep partnership. Right. right. But, you know, with us, we try to be very clear in the beginning. And, and, you know, and I'm, I don't know, maybe like nine months into this. So I'm still continuing to like learn and adjust and reassess and, and kind of figure it out. But, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah. No, and my, my comment was only in regards to uh, a lit rep, you know, a manager like, who won't return your calls, who, yeah, that I mean, kind of thing. But I you're mean, still technically assigned to them because you haven't fired them. Yeah, I mean, truly, like, if your rep actually won't respond to your emails and phone calls and you've been trying for two months, and I know people who have had this, <laughs> you should fire them. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, there's just a certain point where it's ridiculous, and it's really disrespectful to just you in general. You sure, know? It's just absolutely. not a good way to conduct business. Right. I'm not perfect, but, you know, I mean, really, like, responding to my clients is uh is one of the highest priorities for me so right. yeah yeah um now talking about producing and managing as a lot of managers do do both in fact most managers or at least have one foot in the producing camp um now as a producer with a substantial amount of producing experience, far more than I think a lot of managers. How do you divide your time in terms of client relations versus like production, you know, working on a project yeah. and that sort of thing? Like how do you separate and how do you separate your focus between clients and projects? Cause oh, they're both man. super time consuming. That's a good question. I mean, I, I think you know, well, let's just go back to what it means to be an independent producer. As an independent producer, you're working for yourself. You're putting projects together. Mm -hmm. you're, you don't get paid until the movie gets made, right? So most independent producers, like writers or directors, who are, you know, trying to get to a position where they can financially support themselves full-time via their film or TV work, you're, you are creating an income source for yourself through something else. Or you're independently wealthy. Um you know, there's family money or whatever. Right. I produced commercials and branded content and, and, and did different things like that to help supplement my income when I was independent producing. And so I think I, I'm very used to juggling lots of different things. And then I'll, yeah, yes, of course, that's producing those worlds in the producing world are like completely different things so 
I was used to sort of being like the commercial producer, which is like a very particular kind of track. And then I would switch over and then all of a sudden I was like the independent film producer and Mm -hmm. that's a completely different world and your responsibilities are completely different. So I think I sort of already had that sense of like, I'm doing this and now I'm doing this. I think there's actually more alignment, honestly, between management and producing than commercial producing and like film producing. Um, So... I mean, it just, I mean, honestly, like, it just depends. Like, I I have a film project that, you know, knock on wood, it's going to go later this year that I started producing before I became a manager. And, you know, when you get into production on something, that's when it's really crazy. Right. You know, that's so, so I've started to think for myself, I need to formulate a plan for how I'm going to handle, like, being the, the really boots on the ground producer that, in this instance, I think I definitely will be, and also still manage my clients' careers because that's really important to me. I've made a commitment to those people, and I take that very seriously. And again, like I am not perfect. Like I certainly take longer than I would like to at times. I, I, you know, there are not enough hours in the day, but um, I think it's just an even. I just kind of end up doing sort of like an even split over the course of the day or what's the more immediate need, you know? Mm-hmm. I'll decide, like, I'm taking a spec out these three days and that's the huge focus for me. And if there's something immediate on the producerial side that I need to deal with, um, I'll do it. But, you know, otherwise, like, I've decided, like, this is my priority today. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers your question, but... No, it does. It does. And in terms of producing and managing there are obviously managers who are much more manager centric and will have a producer credit every now and then and then there are those who are much more producing centric who produce a lot more material whether it's their clients or whether it's some other development process uh, because it sounds like you have projects that they may be i mean maybe they're clients now but right. but before yeah. you were producing them way before yeah, you yeah, actually yeah. represented uh, uh writer director clients um so I guess my question is, as a pro- producing heavy manager, because you do have a lot of projects going on, yeah. uh, a couple that we mentioned in the intro and we can kind of get into, Yeah. how do you, because there's been conversations about this before, and we were talking about the whole, the PGA label, and yeah. uh, some managers are really good at sort of separating the two in terms of any conflict of interests, like if I'm going to manage a client and sort of produce their work, there it needs to be justified, mm-hmm. meaning I am putting the miles into helping you get this project in more than a manager would do, i.e. reading a draft and giving you notes, but actually doing more than that. And then there are those who, oh, you're my client? Okay, I'll let, what, what are we producing? What, what are you going to give to me? What script are you going to give to me that I can send out and produce? And really, that's the basis for the producing credit. How do you see that in terms of uh, your role as a producer slash manager for your clients? Yeah. I mean, I think what we were talking about before is, um, unfortunately, producer is this very, like, all-encompassing term. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people don't don't necessarily understand the f- sort of minutia of that. Um, you can have a producing credit because you did bring financing to the table and that was what you negotiated you can have a producing credit simply because you manage the director and you negotiated that for yourself but maybe you're not or an actor or an actor but you know technically you're not 
really involved with the actual right. physical act of making the film. Right. Um, not to naysay anything on the development side, but traditionally even with Bellevue, you know, we do heavy development work before we take a script out because we want the script to be as good as it can be. Mm-hmm. In I don't know what instance, I don't think there's ever been an instance where it's been set up with a producer production company and they haven't done additional development work on sure. it, right? And then the director has notes and then actors have notes and then like whatever, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, so like with the whole producing element of it, um, I came from independent film. I came from the people that I worked for were really hands-on, like from development, from inception to delivery, you know? And and I think to me that's a producer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will tell you I've done accounting work for my movies. I've done right. legal work, seriously, like modified legal documents to not have to spend money hiring a lawyer. I've done I've worn so many different hats as a producer and it's a lot of times really thankless sure you know a lot of times like it doesn't occur to people like that you're even that you're working with to like thank you for the work that you're doing and I have seen so many times when you're trying to put financing together for a movie um and you're trying to like lower the budget for some reason, the producer fee is always the one that people go, oh, why don't you just lower your producing fee? Mm-hmm. Like, like you want to get the movie made, right? right? And you're like, yeah, I want to get the movie made, but I've spent five years working on this. Right. Day in and day out. Like, just trying to get it to people, trying to get it past agents, trying to get it to actors, trying to get a sales company on board, trying to find financiers, mm-hmm. you know, opening a company, like doing all of these different things. So that's all to say... Managing is actually a lot easier <laughs> than independent producing. And so I have really relished and loved the opportunity to focus on that. Um, and and so for me, like on the producing side of things, yeah, I'm, I'm producing, but those are projects that I was like previously attached to. I follow sort of the Bellevue rule when it comes to projects moving forward where if it's not my idea – or some, you know, very specific circumstance, like I'm not going to produce a client's project. I'm not, I don't need to have the producer credits. Mm -hmm. I don't need that anymore, you know. Um, And I have such respect for what real producers do and the time and the like blood, sweat, equity that they put into that. I don't know how I could justify just attaching myself with a nice fee to a project and not actually do the work. And maybe that makes me like naive and nice, but it's just the truth. So, you know, that's kind of how I look at like the producing versus like the management. And, you know, really like I can always produce if I want to. Like Mm. I can always find something to produce if I really, really, really want to. But right now I'm really focused on my clients and building a client list and networking and helping shape careers and there are definitely instances with some of like my filmmaker clients where we have a pre-existing relationship and I think they will want me to produce sure. just because of our relationship. And that's kind of enough for me. Right. So that's sort of, you know, I just gave a very extensive like back history on like my thoughts on independent producers <laughs> and stuff. Right. But um, that's kind of how I look at 
sort of management versus producing and my sort of philosophy with like approaching it. Right. And I think that producing, having a rep that's also a producer can be a good thing in the best, in, in, in a dream world. You have a producer who is your manager who is not going to collect commission because they're getting a producer fee in, right. you know, assuming it goes and that kind of thing, yeah. but you're know, producing and someone who will watch your back someone who's involved in the process who will fight for you, like, oh, the director doesn't want the writer on set. Well, you're a producer, so, well, no, my client's going to yeah. be, you know, who will fight for you and to be in those rooms, to be involved, who will work for you as well as the project. But on the other side, there are those outliers who are not necessarily as invested in their client as much as the material in their producing credit who won't spend hours and years sometimes de- de- helping the writer develop a project. Maybe it's their idea. Maybe they help them find them. Maybe they, like with John, got rights to something, a yeah. book. They, they're not involved in that sense, but you send them a script so they can send it out, you know, go out with it. All of a sudden, they're, you know, selling it as their producer on this thing, having not done very much of anything. When it comes down to negotiating, well, they want their producer fee. So when it comes down to, well, just lower your producer fee. Well, maybe I can negotiate my writer's client down a little bit, my writer's salary down a little because uh, I'm not getting commission. I've you know heard horror stories about that's terrible things like that. I mean, not surprising, I guess, because it's Hollywood. But right, and they're not getting a commission on it, so you know, yeah. it's like they're not going to battle you, battle for you for more money because the budget's just not there. So yeah. either they cut it, so. I've heard both stories, and I, I so I think it can be a good thing, but it can also be a bad thing. So you kind of have to watch out for that. I mean, the the sort of response I have to that is that, that really comes down to your rep at Absolutely. the end of the day and your and, relationship with and them. your relationship with them and trust. And I think the the way to have the best working relationship with your rep is to trust them and if you don't trust them then you probably shouldn't be with them sure um and i also do tell people too when we're really thinking about like you know because we do do we have we have a we're very much like take all the meetings you know Mm -hmm. when we're talking to prospective clients um a lot of times it's like a competitive like signing situation or whatever we're very much like take all of the meetings meet everybody because it's it's there are so many different kinds of managers with so many different kinds of personalities, with so many different ways that they manage. And not one is right or wrong. Not one is right or wrong. It just depends on what you personally sure. want and what you're looking for. And it's also what I'm looking for in a client, like relationship with a client. And that really is trust. It's working co- collaboratively together to decide what the best next steps are to help advance you. It's developing projects to make sure that when we take that project out, it's as good as it can possibly be because you get one read. You don't get to go back in six months and say, hey, wait a second, I made notes. Like, I made some changes. Like, it's a lot better. Like, no one has time for that, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of, you know, what we do, and that's a lot of what I'm really looking for in a client is to, I think, value my advice, my opinions, listen to me. Um, you don't always have to listen to me, but like generally listen to me um, and well, trust me. Well, I think me. listening is part of, you yeah. absolutely have to listen to you. Now, yeah. not every note that everyone gives, even if you respect them and their opinion, is going to jive with your vision. That being said, if you're not willing to listen to criticism, then you probably shouldn't be with that person. Yeah. 
And yeah, I mean, so that goes back to the like, well, you know, the the interests of whatever. Um, I, I take, I really do take representing people seriously, mm-hmm. and and it is a commitment that I have made to them, um, and that's just a personal decision that I made to conduct myself in a particular way when I started managing and that that's just what I wanted and that's why I'm at this particular company as opposed to other companies um so uh yeah but I mean what I would definitely the advice that I would give to people if you're meeting with representatives ask them about their policies and producing you know ask them um if you're if you have concerns about how they're going to conduct themselves, we'll ask them questions. Yeah. You know, it, there's, it's, a, it's a two-way street. It's a two-way interview. You're also trying to figure out, it, you know, they're trying to figure out if they want to rep, rep you, and you're trying to figure out if it really makes sense to be represented by this person. Um, and it's okay to decide, like, hey, you know what? We're not a great fit. Um, I know there's a lot of fear of, like, well, this is the only person. Right. And, if if they don't sign me, then like my career, nothing will ever happen with my career. And it's like, well, yeah, but kind of what we started out talking about, if they're not doing any work or if it's just not a good fit, like what's the, I mean, there's almost no point, right? Right, absolutely. And talking about finding a good fit, I know John and his taste tend to be studio films big budget things and you come from the indie film world yeah is that your taste or is that just how you have been working like when you read material do you have an eye on indie films <laughs> genre films is that your your taste or is that just kind of where you were at because that's where you started yeah. your career and you built your network and, and that sort of thing is that something that you're looking for in terms of clients yeah are you looking for the next coen brothers are you looking for uh that kind of that's thing? a really good question i mean I I should start off by saying at the end of the day, this is an it is a business. Sure. So we are we are looking to make money. I'm mm-hmm. looking to pay my bills. Absolutely. Um. So. So are the writers listening to? Absolutely. Yeah. Of yeah. course. Yeah. You know. Um. I come from the world where people want to be the next Martin Scorsese, mm. the next, I mean, that's, that's a very, I mean, he's obviously like wildly successful and making lots of money, but you know, like the sort of, I'm an auteur kind sure. of background. Like when I left New York, I don't know if this is still the case, but when I left NYU and was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to move out to LA. I actually had people like who actively told me I was selling out by like moving to Los really? Angeles. Yes. Cause like, oh, you're going to go work and like make in those Hollywood, like horrible, in Hollywood right. make those horrible movies. Right. Um, so, um, I think I'm just look. What I'm personally looking for is, like, do I think I can? Do I think I can make money off of you? Of course. Do I think I can craft a career for you? Like, do I think? Do I think what you're doing is really interesting and different? Mm-hmm. And I've always been really interested in and connected to like female driven stories i am so grateful that there is a moment right now where people want female protagonists where female filmmakers are getting attention where people want female writers you know all of that um because there were so many years when it was like oh you're the here's a girly script like go read the girly script right the rom-com the rom the really bad rom-com script um, so that's like really exciting for me right now. So something in particular that I'm excited about is like signing female writers and directors who are interested in doing more commercially leaning genre work. Okay. And P.S. like commercially leaning doesn't mean 
bad. No. You know? Like, and I think, okay, so that's like the writing side, but like to speak to the independent, like that background, yes, that's where I came from. I mean, if you look though, like look at Ryan Coogler, like, you know, look at, look at any of the John Watts, like look at any of the big Marvel movies. Those people came from independent film. So something that I'm really interested in is also signing filmmakers, like up and coming young filmmakers who are more of that in that like independent, like maybe a tour kind of scene and working with them and helping them figure out. And I think this like is something that I can bring is like, I actually know how to make independent films and I Mm -hmm. know what, the people who finance those movies and like that that sort of like world, I know what they're really interested in, what they spark to, and so I'm, you know, looking for also for people to work within that who eventually I can transition into bigger things, you know, and build a bigger career for them. Um, I mean, look at Barry Jenkins, like right. Taika Waititi. Yeah, I mean, there are yeah. so many people who who started out in quote unquote independent film, sure. right? who and you know have used that as the building blocks to then go on and get to to do these these bigger projects and the projects are so i mean black panther was like revolutionary because it was so well done for you know what that kind of movie was and that's because it had a real like authentic filmmaker coming in and taking his craft and putting it into a blockbuster film Mm -hmm. and it was nominated for an oscar so that is also something that i'm like particularly interested in it as well um and and also just to go back to the women thing like i rep men so it's not sure yeah (laughs) it's not it's not only i'm not only female like i think it's just i'm just i'm looking for for good writers i'm looking for interesting perspectives and i'm looking for somebody that i feel like i have a good collaboration with right right um, now, you also worked at as an executive at Occupant. We talked a little bit about that. How does having a background as an executive, being on the other side of the desk, so to speak, how does that affect your work as a, a manager and producer? I think it's really helpful. Yeah. I mean, I honestly think have on having an understanding of like all of the different positions that are in this industry and I always felt this too like on the production side of things you know I I I always felt really grateful that I I actually did go through NYU and I had a production background Mm -hmm. because when I start because when I was an executive um, because I was a development and production executive because it was such a small shop so I really understood like what it was like to location scout and I really understood what it was like to be an assistant director because I had actually performed those duties, right? And so I I could have these kind of conversation, like constructive conversations with people and like come, you know, come at it, I think in a way that it's really hard to do when you just have really no clue what goes into somebody's job. And I think the same thing is true with having been an executive um, and now being a manager. And, and I think a lot of that, you know, I sp- or being, you know, having been an independent producer and now being a manager, I spend a lot of time thinking about what's the best way to get these people to read the scripts? What's the best way to get these people excited about my clients? Um, and I just sort of think back to what was it like for me? And a lot of that too is like, what are the demands that they're under? Like they work for someone, you know, they're answering to someone there's a company mandate 
their time is limited. Like they're doing a lot of like, yeah, you know, any executive, like they have larger aspirations than like just being an executive. You know, nobody really ever starts out right in the film industry. Like I want to go be a development. I want to go be a CEO at yeah. a company, you know, um, even if it's like the coolest company, you know, sure. it's like Amy Pascal CEO. Like nobody actively like ultimately is like, that's what I want to do for like the rest of my career. Right. So they have their own aspirations of things that they're really driven by. So I, so a lot of times when I'm talking to executives, I ask them what the company is looking for, but then I also ask them, what are you personally looking for? Mm -hmm. What are you personally like really excited about and would just like love to find? Um, Because if I can give them that, they're going to be really passionate about it and they're going to really like push it internally and there's going to be more chance of success for that for that project internally to have that internal champion, right? Um, but I think also just like really realizing like, okay, so they answer to someone, they're being given projects all the time that they don't really maybe care about that much, but they have to do it in service to the person they're working for. Their time's limited. You know, they're, they're a human being. Mm -hmm. They also have like personal life. So it's just like really, I think keeping all of that in consideration and being really respectful of people, trying to be really targeted with your submissions and sort of who you're presenting. I think spamming a bazillion like client submissions to somebody is never a good idea. Right. Um, and and I think if you're if you're thoughtful about who you're sending to these people and they respond to the material, they're always going to look at your stuff first. Sure. In the future. And so those are just sort of, um, yeah, I definitely have moments where I'm like, wait, switch back into, you know, executive mode or producer mode and think about it like that. Conversely, on the other end, even earlier this week, I a project that I'm producing, but I also managed the writer and the director on that. That, that came about prior to starting at Bellevue, um, working with them on that project. And then when I started at Bellevue, both of them like, were like, will you be my manager? Right. Um, but, you know, we were, oh, I, I, I had this moment where I was like, wait, we actually should call that actor's manager and just introduce ourselves to them, even though we submitted to the agent. Because I know if I had a client and something came in through an agent, I'd actually really appreciate it if the producer called me just to say hello and mm -hmm. introduce themselves. Like that would actually be meaningful and that would maybe make me like pay more attention to the submission. Sure. You know, so I think, so it's, it's, I think that dichotomy has actually like helped very much just mindset and approach um, with everything. Right. No, that's, that's good to know. And Talking about clients, and I know you have a, a big production background, we, a lot of our listeners are writers, newer writers, but I'm sure we have uh, a number of filmmaker, you know, writer-director clients, as, uh, potential clients yeah. as well, uh, people pursuing directing and writing. How does that differ in terms of your uh, approach to prospective client like when you look at clients what type of material do they have to have if they're just a writer or if they're a writer director do you is it more difficult to break a writer versus a writer director or vice versa that sort of thing yeah um that's a really good question um it is much easier to break a writer uh hundred <laughs> percent right that is a given uh there is a reason that my colleagues mainly represent writers. Um, and 
that is because with writers, at least on the feature side, TV is just a whole different ball game. And yeah, how... usually the writer directors don't. If they exist in TV, oh it's yeah, of yeah. But I'm just even talking about like a, like being a writer. Like that's a oh, very sure. like structured system yeah, in yeah, terms yeah. of you know achieving the upper levels of success right. over on that side. But well, let's just talk about fe- the future side, right? You just have to have a good script. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, really, like that's what it is at the end of the day. Like a script that makes sense in the marketplace and that is well written, mm-hmm. and a representative or you know who's taking it out, right? Um. It is not that way as a filmmaker. You have to have a good movie, and it needs to be a feature. You know, you can do the short. The sh- you're doing short films as a filmmaker to make your first feature film, right? To be able to show that you are competent enough and have a voice to make some people excited enough to give you money to go make a first feature film. Right. That's that's it, right? Um. So you have to make your feature film. Your feature film has to be good. You know, it has to, like, do something. And there's varying degrees of, like, what that means specifically. But maybe, you know, it probably needs to get some form of distribution. Um, It it probably needs to premiere at one of the, you know, significant film festivals in the world. you know, may, or maybe it's on Netflix. It does really well on Netflix and like becomes a zeitgeisty thing and people sure. are into it. Like it needs to do something to be able to then sort of take you to the next stage to make the next movie, the next bigger movie, right? So that takes years. Like it takes years to get a movie made, whether it's an independent film or it's a studio film. Making a movie is the hardest thing I think anyone could ever attempt to do. <laughs> Truly. So someone who wants to be a filmmaker, writer, director, yeah. and has a script. Yeah. That when they and they approach a manager, that's not enough. Oh no. I mean I'm I'm to be honest with you, when it comes to filmmakers, I'm actually less interested in your writing ability. Um, because if you really want to direct, you I'm you know, I, I need to be able to look at a short film and I wish I could tell you it needs to have this and it needs to have mm. this and it needs to have this. I mean, you know, for anybody who's out, out there who's listening and who's a filmmaker, here's what I'll just say about short films. It's the hardest medium to make. It's it's like that, like trying to figure out how to make a successful short film for yourself, I think is actually one of the hardest things to do. And here's what I'll say. Don't try to tell a complete story. Tell me mood, tell me tone, tell me style for you as a filmmaker. Maybe it's a very particular moment in the character, a character's life. Um, There was one short film many years ago, and it was just about this girl in in Chicago um, from, like, not a great neighborhood, traveling from school to her house, and it was so beautifully done. There was no massive story. It was just following this character immersed in this world and and just the style and everything. And you look at it and you go like, oh, that's a filmmaker. Like that person mm. has a voice. Right. I'm not looking for story. I'm looking for do you have a voice? Is there something unique about the way you look at something, at the world, at the whatever, that translate will translate and be exciting to other people right so that's that's what i'm first looking for then if you can also write and you have a great script that's the package that's amazing right you know i think if you're a strong 
director, you don't have to be as strong as a writer because we're trying to like sell maybe more of a package. Mm-hmm. Having said that, you can also do the approach of like even if you want to direct. I know I know tons of people who have aspirations to eventually be directors, but are really strong in writing and are building solid writing careers for sure. themselves. And that's a totally legitimate way to also break into it as well. Absolutely. You know, to, because again, at the end of the day, like this industry is just about contacts. It's about networking. It's about people liking you. And, you know, if you're a working writer, you're building those relationships. And those people are probably, there's probably going to be some executives and financiers who go, you know what, I really love working with you. And I, I believe in you as a creative right. vision. And I'm willing to put money into this for you to direct it because, right. you know, I know you. Yeah, and in those pitch meetings or in whatever meetings, you're visual and you're talking about your mm-hmm. vision for the script, and they can see that and go, "I think that will translate to yeah. a film." Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Did I answer that question? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, now, are there things that writer, newer writers, clients, uh, newer writers in general, or even filmmakers, don't understand? about production because one thing that I think like you had mentioned is for it's it's less about telling a whole story in a short especially as it is getting across a vision a point of view something unique what I will also add is that they don't grade on a curve because you had a $20 budget your cell phone and a skateboard does not mean they're going to go oh well he only had this or she only had a small amount of resources so I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that doesn't apply. You are going against other people who have shot shorts that have spent $50,000 or more on their short. They're not going to say, well, this person had a lot less, so I'm going to give them credit for doing a pretty good job, assuming they had nothing. It, it doesn't work that way in the professional world. Are there other things that newer or less experienced filmmakers or writers don't understand about production that you wish they would? Well, I mean, to your point about that, like, Production value mm-hmm. in a short, it's it's obviously helpful to have a nice production value, but that's not what I'm looking at. Sure. Um, and and I wish I could I could figure out how to sort of describe that better. But I've seen shorts that took place in one room, right? That were really well done. Right. Well, that's the thing. My point was, don't be over ambitious. Don't yeah, say no. I want to shoot a sci-fi piece. And you have zero budget, work within your means. Because totally. you can tell a great story. You can have an amazing. I'm, I'm not saying you couldn't do a really good short film on your phone. Oh no, no, you yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely could. yeah. Didn't uh, uh, who was it? They shot a, a film, I think, a feature on their phone. What was it? It was. Oh yeah, uh, Tangerine. Maybe, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So it can yeah. be done, obviously, if you're. Oh yeah, and that was like a, that was a you know a huge success yeah. for for that filmmaker. It wasn't because he shot it on an iPhone. No, no, no. It was because it was an, a really well done film. Was it a buzzy thing to talk about in connection with the film in like a promotional sense and also in a way for people to say, oh wow, that's that's impressive. Sure, but that wasn't the thing. Right that ultimately made that film successful. It was a well-made film. Right. But you're not shooting Star Wars with no budget. Right. It will just look cheap. Yeah. So focus on what you have and work with... Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to unpack that question because it's, yeah. com- you know, it's definitely complicated. Um, 
I would say, here's what I would say to you're making shorts, you want to be a filmmaker, mm-hmm. you know, approach and, and, and what to do. Authenticity is, authenticity is, I think, the most important thing. Um, the number one piece of advice that I give any of my clients when they're going into a meeting, when they're pitching on something is, why you for this? Yeah. You know, and, why, and when I say why you, what from your personal experiences, you know, or your interests or whatever makes you the person that should be hired to do this? Because they can go hire anybody. Mm-hmm. So, but why you? And I think that's the same thing for when you're trying to make your first feature or even if you're trying to make a short, think about that. Like, what themes are you talking about? Why is this important to you? You know, why are you inspired to do this? Those things matter so much more a lot of times when we're talking about like film and filmmakers and, and different things than story or plot or whatever. When I get pitched a lot, people normally take me through a beat by beat plot breakdown. Mm-hmm. And my, and, and now granted, there could be managers and agents out there who say they totally disagree with me. But personally, I think when you're pitching to somebody, you're trying to get them to read your script or watch your movie or whatever. You're, you don't need to lay out the plot for them. You need to talk about why you were inspired to write it, why you were the person to write it, what themes are relevant. Is, are these universal? Is specific? Like, what's going on there? Like, you're trying to get somebody excited to read something. So I think that's the same thing on the filmmaking side. Like, you're trying to... You want people to be able to watch like your short film or read your first feature film that you're going to make into feature and go, I see why this person did this. I see why they're the person that needs to tell this story. Because the thing is, like, nobody can take that away from you. Right. No one can take authenticity and personal connection to something away from you. Um, so there are like so many sci-fi alien movies. There are so many action. But I mean, there's so many, you know, so you're that's not what you need to be thinking about if you're trying to like launch yourself as a filmmaker. It needs to be more of like a personal whatever investment right. versus what's the marketplace looking for because sure. you're not at that point yet. You don't need to worry about that yet. Right. And if you don't have a budget, instead of trying to do a super ultra nothing budget feature, maybe do a, you know, a, a short yeah. with whatever resources you have and maximize. Yeah. I mean, really, again, to be clear, like, Production value is not something that I mean. Maybe like district there, district nine is probably an example where people were really wowed by. Sure. I mean, there are obviously always exceptions, right? But a lot of these guys were former visual effects yeah. artists. Yeah, I mean, that would be an instance like of saying if you come from a VFX background sure. and we're trying to break you in as a director, your short better have VFX right, in it, absolutely. right? Like that's the angle that we're taking with right. you. That's the branding, the selling that we're doing with you. Um, so I think it's also about you know, honestly thinking about like what kind of a filmmaker are you? Right. Like brand. I, I think John's probably talked about brand on your show before. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's so important. And that's something to definitely be thinking about even, you know, when you're, if you're in film school right now and you're like, I want to go be a director. What's your brand? How are you going to sell yourself to people? Right. How are you going to put yourself? How recent, are, recent film school grad is not a brand. No. <laughs> <laughs> I made a thesis film right. about like a character drama right like that's you know get in line yeah um get get in line (laughs) indeed i'm trying to think like i saw this short film recently 
Oh, that one was Annette Sundance. She just had a film that was at Sundance. Um, uh, the director's name is Danny Pierce. She's really interesting, of course. I don't represent her. But she did this, like, short, and it was just this – it was in a hospital. It was in a hospital corridor, and it was a nurse doing this, like, really weird dance breakdown, emotional d- dance breakdown thing. And it was so bizarre, mm-hmm. but it was so – like, you watched and you went, oh, my God. Like, there is a filmmaker here. Like, there is a person who's exploring – sort of, I think, the the emotional toll it, it, of being a nurse and having a patient die and, like, whatever, and doing it in this, like, very bizarre, expressive way through dance. I don't think she spent a lot of money on that, you know? But it really, I mean, I reached out to this filmmaker because I had never seen anything like that before. And so, I mean, I don't know. That would be my piece of advice and random, like, but, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. good. Um, we have a couple of listener questions I wanted to run by you. Uh, the first is from Elizabeth Diddy. It's at Diddy1013. It says, I'm curious what avenues you're using to find new talent. Is it still mostly via word of mouth, cold queries? Are there any non-traditional places you look like hashtag spec script shout out or any of the various grids being put together by folks on Twitter? What spec script shout out? I'm not 100% sure. But I am I... not savvy, clearly. <laughs> but I know on Twitter that. there are... You know, writer solidarity sure. tweets and totally. you know, yeah, yeah, different yeah. things like that. All um, grids that they're putting together. So I have signed a lot of people off of blacklist.com. Okay. So that... Not the actual blacklist, but the the No, I mean, I've, I've... I'm sure you've signed from that as I'm, well. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, you're specifically And work to speaking. get client scripts on that. Right. No, I'm, I'm talking specifically about the blacklist open site. paid site. Gotcha. Um, that is in terms of... I mean, you can obviously send me a cold email. I get them all of the time. I'm. It is very rare for me to, honestly, for me to respond back and say, "Hey, like, okay, I'll take a look." Right. Um, I think part of it too is that then I've sort of agreed that I'm going to read your script, and I have to figure out like time to read it, and then I have to, if I don't like it, I have to come back to you, and I have to nicely, you know, right let you down that I'm not interested and it's like there's just effort involved what's really nice about the blacklist website is I can go on and I can skim through log lines Mm -hmm. I can do specific searches like maybe I want to find a female action writer like I can do genre and gender search I can do I mean yes like you can decide not to put your gender or your ethnicity of course um but I'll do like genre searches um, I'll scan through and read log lines. I'll look at what scripts are trending. I will read the assessments um, that are done because I think in general they have some really good readers whose thoughts like make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found like five clients off of the site. Wow. And they're really good clients. Yeah. Um, and what's nice about it is I can download your script and read it. And if I don't like it, I don't. That's it. Yeah. I can stop reading it. There's no commitment. There's no commitment there. Um, And so I know a lot of other people that also use that site as well um, and and really do look at that. And if you've got a good evaluation on it, there's a chance like a fair amount of representatives, not agents, but like managers will certainly occasionally go up and like kind of skim and see if there's anything really interesting. Sure. 
Um, so that's a big resource. I mean, I do do pitching things like Roadmap. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done Stage 32 in the past, although I haven't done that in a really long time. There's like Virtual Pitch Fest, you know, where you send a log line. Um, I'm actually producing a film that I found through Virtual Pitch Fest several oh, wow. years ago. That's probably the only script, though, that I've ever because um, I was going to ask you accepted. those those virtual pitch fest type yeah. things are they worthwhile for you or the writer, and in what way? I mean, I, I mean, I am producing a <laughs> sorry <but> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a script from it. I will say I've been doing that virtual pitch fest for maybe six years, and that's right. probably I think the, the only script right. that I've ever you know requested from it. But I'm, in your participation, how many writers do you see on? like 10 a month okay yeah i honestly for six years virtual pitch fest by the way if you're listening yeah i think i'm still listed as a producer on that site so i feel like if i switched to manager my my uptick would would (laughs) go sure considerably (laughs) yeah um yeah yeah yeah. like on you know but the thing is it's like most of them are really bad sure like the logins are really bad the stories are really generic it's just not interesting right you know i know john i I don't need to repeat John Zerzoni because he's talked a lot about like cold query letters and right. stuff. But like a lot of times it's just very like the loglines are not good. Right. You know, and you're like that. Have you ever seen a movie like that? Like why? Like Right. Or it's either I've seen that a million times. That's not interesting. Or I've never seen that. No one's making movies like that. Right. And not in a good way. No one's, you know, like that's just an makes no sense bizarre concept right um so anyway so uh, those are those are kind of the i think blacklist is honestly amazing Mm -hmm. i think what that because here's the other thing that's great and i i sound like i work for them i actually don't work for them i just think that they're an amazing organization i know a lot of people over we've had franklin leonard on the podcast franklin's amazing um uh megan halpern over there who runs their programs is a friend who is incredible um uh, there's just like a lot of really great people over there and they really, really care about writers. Um, it's just a great, it really, it like people do go on that website, mm-hmm. you know? And even if you don't get representation or like a producer or something out of it, um, you still get feedback on the script. Like sure. you can still take the notes and like develop it further. So it doesn't feel like a total waste, right? you know, of it. But um yeah, so, so and then outside of that, yeah, it's word of mouth. I mean, honestly, when I announced I was a manager, who the floodgates, like, mm-hmm. just opened up, like, personal people, like, contacts, like, oh, I wrote a script. Right, Will you right. read my script? Like, right. people I've known for a long time as, like, executives or whatever suddenly were like, hey, I wrote a script. I'm looking for a manager. Right. Um, you know, um, so, uh, you know, we're constantly getting suggestions and – um, and then now that I'm part of a company too, you know, John and Jeff get suggestions a lot as well. And maybe they don't have the bandwidth to take it on. So they'll kind of send it sure. over to like me or Zach and say like, are you interested in representing these people? So it's sort of like a mixed bag. I definitely do a lot less of my own, um, hunting sure. than I did in the beginning. Um, just because now it's just, it's all sort of coming, so it's like less work. Right. But having said that, that was that was a really long-winded answer. Having said that, I do look at things like the labs, like the Sundance Lab, sure. the Film Independent Labs, any of those writer diversity programs. Um, any of those sort of organizations are a great 
sort of first kind of springboard springboard of like they've at least passed that test and there's mm-hmm. something there there's something like for the for the buyer as well too right? right when you're pitching someone and they've done this lab so it's sort of like a validation point i definitely look at those if it's filmmakers i will you know when you're a manager you're signing filmmakers mostly at the short phase um by the time they've made their first feature film they usually have a manager not an agent necessarily but a manager so i'm really looking at you know sundance south by southwest tribeca berlin Cannes, um austin and like what short films are like playing is there anybody interesting um and then any of those like film school um like showcases, right. you know, NYU, writers USC, coming out. Yeah, you, um, like Lily Marymount yeah, recently um, signed a really wonderful, wonderful client that I share with Jeff Portnoy out of oh. Lily Marymount. Um, I've been really impressed by the quality of their students actually lately. Um, so if you're thinking about college, that might be somewhere to go. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, and the next question is from Alex, who's at the Alex Black. Would you ever rep an international writer, and do managers read spec scripts of existing TV shows, or do they prefer originals? Okay, totally. (laughs) I would actually love to find some more international clients, um, if anybody wants to hit me up. Um, I, you know, when I was working at Occupant, towards the end of my time there, we really started to focus on international co-productions. Really? And that is something that a lot of people in Hollywood don't know how to do that because that is very much like the way movies are made in America is not how movies are made in the rest of the world. Um, And uh, the people that I was working for, one of them was from Colombia, one of them was Austria. So we really, they sort of like Madame Bovary was a co-production. That was a UK, French, Belgium co-production. So I really got to see very much firsthand, like The Hallow was an Irish UK co-production. I really got to see firsthand how those movies are put together in in other parts of the world and it involves like government funding, Mm -hmm. tax credits, um, uh, pre-sales, foreign pre-sales where you're pre-selling, where you 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 work with a foreign sales company and you like pre-sale to territories um and then you can say okay like we this this territory is guaranteeing this amount of money and you can basically like it's sort of early banking like against your budget sort of um that makes sense but so i'm actually like very interested in working with international people particularly like i think international filmmakers because there's a just a different way to go about getting projects made um, at earlier stages and then transitioning them into the bigger, more traditional American way of making movies. If you're an American and you're just trying to get a movie made as a first-time filmmaker, someone needs to write you a check. Mm -hmm. That's it. Somebody or multiple people need to just give you money that they probably won't ever see anything from. (laughs) Like, let's be real. Mm -hmm. Um, Because they think it might be cool to go to Sundance. Right. You know, I mean, that's how those movies get made. So um, that's obviously very specific to, like, filmmakers, but also with writers, too, because there's just very different structures in other countries, particularly in, like, the UK and in Ireland and in Australia. And New Zealand and, and whatever for opportunities to create content overseas. Right. And Lots I'm of grants and things. Yeah, grants and things. Yeah. And I'm really into that. So um, 
uh, yeah, so if you're international and you're looking for an American representative, feel free to uh, send <laughs> me a cold uh, a cold email. Yeah. What was this? What was the other question? Uh, the second there was like a, it was a two part. Yeah, question. do managers read spec scripts of existing TV shows or do they prefer originals? Which I'm assuming he means pilots. Oh, pilots. originals. Yeah. Like, you're wasting your time writing a spec script of an existing... Yeah, unless you want to apply to a fellowship. And even fellowships are starting to switch <sighs> yes, over. Yes, they are. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, originals, originals, originals. I want to be able to assess your writing ability. And a large part of that is you creating characters and worlds that um, someone else hasn't. Right. Um, and so do you have any final thoughts uh, or advice for those newer writers, filmmakers out there? I mean, I have two thoughts. Yeah. Um, it's really, really hard to make it in this industry in any capacity. Whether you're an agent, you're a manager, you're a writer, you're a director, you're an executive, it's, you know, lots and lots of people want to tell stories. And, and if you talk to anybody in this business, everybody will say, like, I don't know. I don't think I've ever talked to anyone who didn't have some version of I really wanted to tell stories as like their, you know, way into the industry. So it's really, really hard and you really have to love it. Like you really, really, really have to want to do it more than anything um, because there's just going to be periods where you just feel like you've hit a wall and you don't know why you're continuing and so it has to be something that you feel compelled to do um because honestly if you want to go make money don't work in this business (laughs) like you know there's like the you know it's obviously when you make it to the top you're making a lot of money but how many people get there right and how long will it take how long will it take how many and there are so many people trying to do it like so so many people so that's like my first sort of you know piece of advice is that and you know is also like really like figure out an income source for yourself, like a sustainable, workable life income source for yourself. So you can have a life while you're also pursuing directing or writing or whatever it is. That's my first piece of advice. Um, my second piece of advice is pretty simple. And it is if you, if you've thought about it and you're like, yes, you know, I love it and I just want to do it and I get it and I know it's going to be hard. Then if you want to be a writer, you need to write. <laughs> And you need to read other people's scripts. I think the better, way, the the best way to become a better writer is to read scripts, mm-hmm. to see what has been successful, and to see what has not been successful. And that will help you immensely. And I will tell you right now that when I'm doing development with my writer clients, I constantly send them scripts like, "Hey, look." I mean, like honestly, just the other day, I was talking about the use of voiceover in something, and I, and I said to a client, go look at Ford versus Ferrari. Hmm. Go look at like the opening VO that and the ending VO they do in Ford versus Ferrari like as a template. Like go download that script. And the nice thing about the internet that we have now versus when I was just starting out is you can go online and Google a script and a lot of times you can find that script and read yeah. that script. Mm-hmm. So and then write. Just write. Like you just need to keep generating content. You just need to write. And if you want to be a director, you need to direct. And you need to figure out how to direct. Mm -hmm. And I know that's a lot harder than writing because that does involve money. But as we just talked about extensively earlier, like you can make really interesting things for not a lot of money. Right. Um, You can figure out how to do it. Other people figured out how to do it. If you're really passionate about it, if that's what you want to do, then you need to go out and you need to do it. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise you're just, you know, 
it's never going to happen. If you don't have right. a directing sample, you're never going to be able to direct anything. Absolutely. Well, especially nowadays when you have a phone that's HD, yeah. 4K. Totally. Whereas when I was in film school, we actually had to use uh, film. <laughs> I used 35 millimeter. Yeah. We shot at NYU. They they make you do this entire like crash course on 16, mm-hmm. and you have to cut. You we had to edit our shorts films on like a steam back, mm. like old school. Yeah. Like talk about insane. So yeah. We're splicing film. S- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally splicing film. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. And, and the technology wasn't there. No. As now you can edit on your on an on app, your on your phone. phone. Yeah. You can edit on your phone. So yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for coming on today, Of course, Kate. thank you for having it's me. It's been a pleasure. I'm sure we got a lot of great... I hope so. Uh, ...questions answered. I'm sure we'll get a lot of great feedback. Um, so, as always, thank you guys also for listening. We do this podcast to help you on your writer's journey, so we appreciate you tuning in as always. Thank you again, Kate. Yeah, thanks. And remember, ABW, just what Kate said, always be writing. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>